Tonight we're looking at our third and final lesson from the book of Titus, looking at Titus chapter 3. And we're going to focus primarily in verses 3 through 7 of Titus chapter 3. In Titus 3, I'm just going to begin by reading the text, and then we're going to look into our lesson. But in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, the Bible says here, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that have been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This evening, I want to remind us of what God has provided for mankind and what God has done for mankind. You look at those verses there, those uh, four verses, three through seven. It's not a lengthy passage, but it does help us remember and consider closely what God has made available to us. Mankind at some point in life is in sin and is uh, outside of a right relationship with God. We are not always in a right relationship with God. We have to first at least begin one. And so when we think about that idea of how we are at some point in our life in sin, we have to ask the question, what must be done? And in verses 3 and following of Titus 3, this really answers the question for us, uh, like many other passages do as well. But we don't want to notice here first in Titus 3, verse 3, how uh, looking first really at the, those who were once lost in sin, and that is everyone at some point, again, is lost in sin. We look at Titus 3, looking at verse 3, the first part. We're going to break these first, this first verse in half here. But he mentions here in verse 3, the foolish, the disobedient, deceived, various lusts and pleasures. If you look at Titus 3 and verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and uh, serving various lusts and pleasures. We think about that phrase there, for we ourselves were once, were also once, and he lists those things, which implies that at some point, even he was involved in these types of things. Even he was involved in these simple activities. No one is born a faithful follower of God, and so we have to become one if we so choose to do so. He says here, uh, verse 3 again, we are also, for we were also once foolish, disobedient, uh, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. Foolish means unwise. And we think about this in a spiritual sense, the idea of being we are unwise, and that is we are doing things that are unwise and not pleasing in the sight of God. You know, we find numerous times in the Bible how, how Christ, uh, especially in the New Testament, Christ calls certain individuals foolish because of their actions. How prophets of old call people foolish because of their actions, not because they've done something that was just uh, you know, wrong to do, but because they've done something that was simply wrong, simply foolish. We also think about the, the phrase here, that word there, uh, the disobedient, which means those who are not compliant, those who are not complying with God's law. You know, if 
We know there are laws of the land which we are to follow. Some we recognize uh, there are some ideas out there today that are definitely outside of the scriptures as they beyond, go beyond what the scriptures teach. So we do not adhere to those things, laws like concerning abortion and those types of things. But we find here the disobedient of those who are not compliant to God's law, those who are not following God's law. And then we find here this next word there, deceive, that is to go astray. They're deceived, and we no doubt can be deceived by living in, by, by allowing ourselves to be tempted by sin. I think about David and Bathsheba and how at least for a time he was deceived by various lusts. We know he uh, gave in to that sin and several others, and he was deceived at least for a time. And then also we find in verse 3 the, the idea that, uh, of various lusts and pleasures and sinful pleasures to be more specific. And so those things are listed there as some things that Everyone at some point has been involved in. Everyone at some point has been foolish or disobedient or deceived. Maybe, you know, maybe not all these uh, uh, apply. Maybe we haven't been you know, drawn off into sinful pleasures like, of, of, of everyone else that has been involved in, but we have been foolish. We have been outside of fellowship with God. Now think about Proverbs chapter 9, looking at verse 6, where the Bible says here, Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. We think about what uh, the writer here is talking about here, Paul is speaking when he, when he says how we all have been involved in things like this in the past, and the instruction is that we are no longer like that. He starts verse 3 by saying, For we ourselves were also once foolish disobedience, once being past tense, not presently, right? And we find the idea here is that we do want to forsake foolishness in all its forms. He says here in verse 6, Forsake foolishness and live, when you're sending it to mean spiritually, and go in the way of understanding, in the way that is pleasing to the sight of God, understanding what God's will is for us, understanding God's word and living and following that, and not giving in to these various uh, lusts and pleasures as they're described here in verse 3. He goes on to mention a few others here in verse 3, when he says here, uh, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You know, I think about that that phrase there in the New King James says, serving various uh, lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. I think about, we want to first think about first that, that phrase living in, which means there are things that they were doing actually as part of what they did, as who they were. They were living in malice and envy. They were living in uh, hatefulness and hating one another. It was just part of what they did. Uh, living in malice and envy is the idea of, of a continual, a continual living uh, in wickedness and pride. You know, malice means wickedness. Envy can be can be trans, uh, uh, translated as pride. So the idea they're continually live, continually living in wickedness and pride, hateful and hating one another is the idea of once filled with hate or hateful. And hateful is described as being despicable, detestable, and loathing. So if they're hateful and hating one another, they're looking at others as being uh, detestable or despicable. And so you really find this attitude of just general unhappiness and bitterness and really, uh, well, like I said before, an, an unhappiness, which is interesting because we notice there in verse 3, they are also, they are, not only are they living in malice and, 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 and uh, envy here and hating, hating and hateful, hating one another, but they're also, as we saw earlier, they're, they're also being foolish, being disobedient. They're deceived, and they're serving various lusts. 
And no doubt, these are not meant to be all inclusive, obviously, but the idea we find there is a lot of these are categories and types of sins and also attitudes about sin. But uh, there are two phrases I want us to think about there. Uh, he, he says there in verse 3, for we ourselves were, were also once these things. And also there, he mentions they're living in malice and envy. These are things that are to be past tense with a Christian. We cannot be a Christian and be faithful to God and serving Him correctly if these things are, are an active part of our lives today. They are spoken of as a past tense. We go on here in verse 4. We look at this idea of the lost or turned obedient. In verses 4 and 5, we begin to, to, to shift gears, looking at what they once were involved in, what we once were involved in. But now something has changed, looking at verses 4 and 5, how the lost are turned obedient. In verse 4 here, we find here what happens when God's kindness and love appeared Looking at verse 4, he says that when the kindness and the love of, love of God our Savior toward man appeared, you think about that for a moment, that kindness and the love of our God, and the love of God our Savior appeared toward man, what is he talking about? He's talking about when the, when, when the gospel was preached and when the gospel was heard, when the gospel was obeyed, mankind is then able to have the ability to repent of their sins and to be made right in the sight of God. And he characterizes all that by saying, when the kindness and the love of our God and, our, and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, is it kindness of God that made a way for us to have heaven as our home? Yes. He doesn't have to do that. God doesn't require us, but the Christian definitely requires God. So God, here in verse 4, he says, uh, Paul, rather speaking, he says, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... Uh, we, uh, we have not only the saving grace of God appearing to all, but also His kindness and the love to man and the love of man. Kindness is goodness, gentleness, as it's described in some verses. And, God, and God's love for, for mankind is manifest and revealed to man. How has God revealed His love for mankind? By making it possible for us to have our sins remitted, to have our sins forgiven, to be able to have heaven as our home. We find, you know, in the Old Testament, even before Christ came onto the scene, it was prophecies about Christ coming, and of course, the obedience to God, so your sins can be forgiven, and Christ came, came back, or came, rather, in, in the New Testament. We find He came and laid down His life for all mankind. John 3, verse 16 tells us how much God loves us, and that He's laid down His Son, He laid down the life of His only begotten Son, and so that our sins can be remitted, and we can't have those things wiped out. They're no longer uh, held against us, which is not something we have to remember once a year, every year, like they did back in the Old Testament. They are gone. They are wiped away. And so the kindness of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, as he says there in verse 4. Looking next at verse 5, he says, You're not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now you want to notice, first of all, he says here, not by works of righteousness. Now we understand there are those who confuse baptism and call it a work of righteousness. In reality, we call it a work of obedience because that's what it is. We want to obey God. We have to do something. Well, something is an action and it is something commanded by God. It is a work of obedience. God commanded that we be baptized in order that our sins be washed away. 
and we can be added to the body of Christ. So it's not a work of righteousness. It's a work of obedience. God commanded us to do that. When Noah built the ark, what was he doing? It was a work of obedience. God commanded it. He obeyed, and he did that. What would happen if Noah didn't build the ark? Noah would have died just like everybody else. It was a, a work of obedience. It's not a work of righteousness. He was not earning his way to heaven. He was not working to earn his way to be saved, just like we are not today. So we look here in verse 5. Not my works of righteousness, which we have done, which is, again, the idea is that we cannot do certain things to earn heaven. Again, someone say we earn heaven by being baptized. No, we obey God by being baptized. Acts 2, verse 38. There is a big difference between the two. But he goes on to say in verse 5, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You think about that. According to his mercy, God uh, showed mankind mercy through offering salvation. We find, you know, the beginning of it was according to his mercy, his loving kindness. God was not under obligation to give us a plan of salvation. But if man was going to have their sins forgiven, we're going to have our sins forgiven. We need a way to have those things. Uh, we need a plan from God to do that. We cannot take care of our sin problem ourselves. We can refrain from sin, but we can't do anything that will cause our sins to be forgiven if God is not included. He goes on to say here in verse 5, uh, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, a reference to being born again. That is baptism. We are born again. Romans tells us that. We are baptized. We rise up a newness of life. We are a new creature. We are a new person. We, we act and we live and we behave completely differently. And then he says here in verse 5, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit through the Word provides a means for our renewing of our minds. When one obeys the gospel, uh, they become a new person, a new creature in Christ. Romans 6 there and verse 4 as I referenced a moment ago. So this is not an idea for us today as, as Christians in, in, in this time as it being some miraculous idea of the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But the idea that we are renewed by the, by the Spirit through the Word of God. We are renewed by God's commands and become new people when we obey the gospel. Romans 6 verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life is we are a new person. We don't live like we once lived before. We become different people. We're no longer involved in those sinful things we were of the past. Going back to verse 3, when he says, But we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, and so on and so forth. Once, past tense, not currently and not part of our future either. So as you think about these things, we think about what we once were in verse 3, what we become by, by the love of God, by the mercy of God in verses 4 and 5. We find next more lessons for us to think about as we consider just that, lessons for us today. We think about, as we look at verse 6 of Titus chapter 3, we see how we must kill the old man. We're not talking about an actual person. We're talking about a way of living. He says in verse 6, Whom he poured out on us abundantly for the Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We think about how we, we are to do away with sin and make sure we no longer live in a way that is out of line with God's word. The old must be done away with. We look at verse 7, that having justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
We become heirs how? By putting off the old man. The Apostle Paul mentions that numerous times. Uh, we are put to death the old man that grows, grows, grows old according to the, you know, because of the corruptness of sin and those types of things. That type of living should be put away from us. Only by putting this old way of living behind us can we become an obedient servant of God. The person who puts this old man, uh, this old man of sin to death can truly live, but not until he, the wicked way of life, the old man, is killed. The old man must be done away with. And we find out there in verses 6 and 7, when he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, so Savior that is the Holy Spirit, he's talking about us today. We recognize this, the encouragement from the Spirit coming through the Word of God. Verse 7, that have been justified by his grace, by the grace of God, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We become heirs. We cannot become heirs of the hope of eternal life if we're still living in sin, living in sin and doing sinful things and living outside the body of living outside of God's commands day after day. Salvation, also as you think about this, is dependent upon our response to God. God shows us kindness, God shows us mercy and love because He wants us to have heaven as our home. You can think about all the things that God has done for mankind from Genesis to today. It's all about trying to get man to earn, to be able to have heaven as their home, not earn, be able to have heaven as their home one day by obedience of the commands of God. Mankind still must respond in the right manner. No matter how much God has done for us, John 3, verse 16 tells us what God has done for us, right? He, he laid down the, the life of His only begotten Son so, so we might have eternal life. But no matter what God has done for us, we cannot have eternal life until we respond in the right manner. And so God's desire is for us to have heaven as our home, but we must choose to do so. God's desire for us to be saved does not guarantee salvation. Just because God wants us to be with Him does not mean we get to be with Him. God has shown us throughout the Bible He wants man to be saved. However, mankind doesn't always want to be redeemed. Look at Joshua 24, verse 15. We find again there is a choice to be made. He says here in verse 15, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your followers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. Think about that for a second. He says you can go back and follow the gods your followers have followed all those years. You can follow tradition. Or he says in verse 15, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. I mean, you can take up the religion, so to speak, of those who live in this land. So you can go back to the tradition, you can follow those who are here today. But look what he says in verse 15. But as for me and my house, which means regardless of what others are doing, regardless of what your choice is today, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which implies that their fathers did not serve the Lord. The Amorites were not serving the Lord. And so he's encouraging them to join him and his family in serving God. But a choice has to be made, doesn't it? You know, it's interesting today. You think about how people live sometimes. They live like, well, they don't have to make a choice. That, you know, 
they're just going to keep going and doing what they're doing and that they just believe that they're going to be just fine when the judgment day comes. The Bible never says that one single time. The Bible never tells us to live how you please. On the judgment day, you'll be saved. You know, the Bible tells us, and everyone goes to heaven, doesn't it? Christ tells us all. He said to me, Lord, Lord, will we'll what? We'll have heaven as their home, doesn't he? He says there in Matthew, how many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? How many wonders in your name? All these works in your name. Yet he says, I will say to them, I never knew you. And yet we have many today who live as if they're just going to keep on doing what they're doing. We have some today who are not here because they have chosen to live that way, don't we? But friends, we think about Joshua 24 and verse 15. Look what he asks in there in verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. We have to choose. And let's be honest, those who are choosing not to worship God, they, they have made their choice, haven't they? We cannot choose to not worship God and then expect for God to choose us on the day of judgment. To choose us to be acceptable and to have heaven as our home. God's not going to choose the unfaithful. So we think about that in verse 15 of Joshua 24. Choose for yourselves this day, that is today, whom you will serve. And there are a lot of folks today who really need to decide what side they are on. We look at Psalm 119, looking at verse 30. He says here, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Here the psalmist says he has chosen God's path, hasn't he? He says, I have chosen the way of truth, not the way of man, not the way of tradition like Joshua hinted at back there in verse 15, right? And he says, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, which is tradition, right? Or the gods, the Amorites, he says, I'm not choosing that. And we find here in Psalm 119, he doesn't reference the idea of following after man or tradition. He says, he says he has chosen the way of truth. You notice there again, it's singular, right? He doesn't say he won the ways of truth. He says, I've chosen the way of truth. Then he says, your judgments I have laid before me. God's commandments he has laid out before him, and that's what he's going to follow. He lays it out like it's a path there in verse 30. You know, we go back and we look at Titus chapter 3. We really look at all of Titus. It's all about being really qualified people before God, isn't it? In Titus 1, it was elders and deacons, right? And also elders and deacons' wives, qualified for that good work. You look at chapter 2, it's all about the qualities of a sound body, uh, sound body of Christ, what the church should be doing and how it should be acting, the, old, the, old, the older and the younger on both sides, the male and the female, right? And here in chapter 3, what is it? It's about getting to heaven. It's about following God. It's about remembering where we once were, verse 3, and going to where we need to be, verses 4 and 5, and getting to that grace, that mercy that awaits us, that God's provided for us, as you find there in verse 7. If you'll notice in verse 8, which won't be on the screen, of Titus chapter 3, he says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. He says this is a faithful saying, which means his words are true, right? His words are good. And he says there in verse 8 of Titus 3, 
He says, I want you to, to affirm constantly, to remember those words he has spoken, which includes remembering where you come from, remembering how you do not want to go back there. You know, at different times, I've listened to different motivational type of things, mostly about sports and things along that line, for different reasons at different times. But one of the things they point out so many times is keeping in mind where you're wanting to go. You think about the Christian life, it's not any different. We want to keep in mind, where do we want to go? Well, we want to go to heaven. We want to go to be with God. We want to go to be with Christ. We want to go to be with all the other faithful brethren who have lived throughout all time. You think about that, that's pretty incredible to think about. That's where we want to be. That is our end goal. You know, you talk to different doctors and things, and they'll ask, well, what, what is your goal in mind? What, what goal have you set? Well, as an individual, we have to ask ourselves the same question. What goal have you set? Is it to get to heaven? Is it to get to heaven plus wanting to learn more about God, wanting to make sure we're strong, we want to make sure we can avoid temptation? Because there's some other goals out there that are not listed as, uh, they're not pleasing in the sight of God. There are goals such as, I want to make sure I can go as little as possible. There's goals such as, I want to give as little as possible. There are goals such as, I didn't want to be bothered. And we know that because if that wasn't a goal of some, we'd have a lot more here this evening, wouldn't we? You know, we think about over the years, I don't care how long you've been here, we all have seen some come and go. And we have to ask ourselves, what goal do we have? If it's not getting to heaven, then it's not the right goal. You look at Titus 3, the goal is to get to heaven. The goal, the goal rather, if I can talk, is to avoid going back to where we once were, as we saw there in verse 3. The goal is to get to heaven. If you think about these things this evening, you think about what Paul is telling Titus, and you think about all those qualities that are mentioned really in all three chapters. We have to ask ourselves, do we possess those qualities? We may not be an elder, but we can still possess a lot of those qualities. We may not be a deacon, but we can still possess a lot of those qualities. We look at those qualities mentioned in chapter 2, we can find we can possess those qualities. In chapter 3, we can find that we can remember where we came from and be focused on where we want to go. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected.